0: I'm Alex. I'm Harrison. And this is Dream a Little Deeper, a critical retrospective on the Walt Disney Animation Studios films.
1: And today, we're talking about Make Mind Music and Fun and Fancy Free.
0: So, today, we're talking about an era in the history of the Walt Disney Animation Studios that falls under the radar. From 1946 to 1949, Disney released four films Make Mind Music, Fun and Fancy Free. Melody Time, and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. But unlike the studio's previous non-government contract work, these take on a different style. Each film comprises anywhere from two to 10 shorts and are typically set to music. And you can kind of divide these films into two categories. Make My Music and Melody Time have a similar model to Fantasia in that there are multiple animation sequences that tell a story and are each set to one song. Fun and Fancy Free and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad just have two shorts each. And while they are set to music as well, the emphasis is more on the narrative. There's a reason for this. After World War II, the Walt Disney Company is no longer financially secure. I think it said that they were about $4 million in debt at the time. As we talked last episode, Walt signed on to do contract work for the United States government to stay relevant and afloat during the war, but he did not make a profit on this work. So funds were short. The Walt Disney Company was also no longer considered a top animation company as Warner Brothers and MGM began to grow in popularity but because the company was strapped for funds, it could not pick up where it left off with Bambi and continue that trend of making artistically ambitious, technically masterful, and emotionally realistic films. The company began to pursue other types of films that were more cost-effective. This included nature documentaries. One of the company's first was Seal Island, and it won an Oscar. The company also began to make more live-action films that would feature animated characters similar to The Three Caballeros. Notable examples of this include Song of the South and So Dear to My Heart. But when it came to strictly packaged films, the Walt Disney Company really could only afford to make animated shorts. As I'll go into in a second, some of these shorts were in varying production stages before Pearl Harbor in 1941, and were meant to be feature-length films. So shortening them to package length made more financial sense. I found varying amounts of history about each of the films, so for organization's sake, I'm going to talk about the first and the third films, then the second and then the fourth, because they pair better thematically. Make My Music was the first of the package films to be released in 1946. It was entered into the 1946 Keynes Film Festival, and from what I could find, it was critically well-received. Some critics referred to it as a lighter fantasia in a positive way. Kevin McGowan said that it was entertaining and that he found something new with every watch without getting bored, but he and other critics knew it was not Walt's best. In his review, he said, quote, "...for all the charm and brilliance of certain parts of it, it was not the capstone of a Disney arch of triumph." End quote. To my surprise, critics even enjoyed the first short, called The Martins and the Coys. The Martins and the Coys is a rough approximation of the Hatfields and the McCoys situation in U.S. history. Harrison just did a little research on this and he has thoughts. <laughs>
1: it's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. But what it's happened? So
0: what happened?
1: So basically, a McCoy joins the a, a McCoy joins the Union Army during the Civil War, gets wounded in battle, gets sent to Union hospital, gets discharged from hospital and on his way home gets jumped by a bunch of Confederate guerrillas and murdered. One of whom is a a Hatfield and claims uh, and they claim that like their family was responsible for the murder and they publicly claim this for some reason so the next 30 years of these Two families, one like living in the West Virginia, Kentucky area, like a basically a war breaks out between these two families, both of whom like for the Civil War being an inciting incident. It's very dumb because the majority of both families fought for the South and they it was just like revenge killings that spawned out into land disputes, which spawned out into just revenge killings over and over and over again. And I'm just like, ah, just stop it.
0: So. Critics, all in all, really liked this short because it's basically exactly what Harrison described, minus the whole war backdrop. Two families living on either side of a river, killing each other until everyone's dead. Critics called it, quote, an interesting cinematurgical treatment of the source material, a, quote, comical saga of old-time Backwood feuding. One critic said that he had the most satisfaction in viewing The Martins and the Coys, seeing it as a satire on a feud situation. And another critic said, quote, a passel of gangly hillbillies feud amusingly in The Martins and the Coys, done to a rambling guitar ballad, but the draftsmanship here is confused. So as you can see from these quotes, like all in all, people really liked it. Maybe like a little, not perfect, but still got enjoyment from watching it. The Martins and the Coyotes was released as a standalone short in 1951, but in Make My Music's re-release in the 2000s, the segment is notably taken out of the film. Instead, the movie starts with the Blue Bayou sequence, which was already animated partly for a future Fantasia re-release that never happened. Different Disney blogs and wikis say the segment was taken out of the re-release because of quote, comical gunplay, but I could find no further explanation in my research. But keep this in mind. It'll become more notable later. It's also important to note that Make My Music is the only package film that is not available on Disney+ though you can find all the individual shorts on YouTube. My assumption is this decision was made for the same reasons as the initial removal of the Martins and the Coys short from the film as a whole. Make My Music did decently at the box office. The film cost $1.35 million to make and made almost $2.1 million in domestic rentals in the US and Canada. Altogether, it grossed nearly $3.3 million in worldwide rentals. So this was a good start for the Walt Disney Company's financial comeback. So now I'm going to jump ahead to 1948 with the release of the third package film, Melody Time. Like Make My Music, it features multiple animated shorts, each set to its own song. Because of this, people rope it under this lighter Fantasia umbrella as well but it's not just critics. Disney's marketing even made the connection saying, quote, "In the grand tradition of Disney's greatest musical classics such as Fantasia, Melody Time features seven classic stories, each enhanced with high-spirited music and unforgettable characters. A feast for the eyes and the ears, full of wit and charm, a delightful Disney classic with something for everyone." End quote. Harrison takes this as a personal attack. It is. However, Melody Time was not received well critically and got a lot of bad reviews. And modern reviews mostly praised the techniques displayed in the film while also pointing out its faults. Whether because of its more negative reception or for other reasons, Melody Time was not re-released until 1998. The Chicago Tribune reviewed it at the time and called it a quote sweet old fashioned delight and one of the few Disney animated films that preschoolers can watch alone without danger of being traumatized.
1: The bar is on the ground. It's not apparently. well.
0: One of the segments that has come under some controversy since the film's release is Pecos Bill. Harrison and I talk a bit about the short's issues in our discussion, but our concerns were not in line with what critics said at the time of the film's re-release. The Pecos Bill segment was heavily edited to digitally remove the cigarette that Bill is smoking throughout the segment. Because of that, there are some segments in the re-release where Bill's lip is just sticking out for no reason. In an attempt to remove all signs of tobacco from the film, the re-release also removed almost the entire sequence where Bill wrangles a tornado and makes it a slight wind. Critics have since come out to question the company's decision to remove the cigarettes when there are other, more problematic sequences. While I couldn't find any specific backlash of the package's representation of Native Americans, which we talk about in our discussion, critics did question the part where Sue kisses Bill and the guns in his holsters go off uncontrollably. (laughs)
1: <laughs> if guns weren't phallic enough,
0: <laughs> right? What puzzles me is the edits and make my music and melody time don't match up. While I can understand the tobacco paranoia in the late 1990s and early 2000s United States, if the Martins and the Coy's package was taken out because of comical gunplay, then why does the Pecos Bill package exist at all? He's shooting off his guns all the time. Some of the Disney blogs I found online seem to indicate Southerners were not thrilled about the representation of the South in the Martins and the Koi sketch, which could be why that was taken out and not Pecos Bill. The Martins and the Kois are hillbillies, while Pecos Bill is a heroic cowboy. But the fact in the blog was not sourced, so I can't say for certain. It's important to note that the uncensored version of Melody Time is now available on Disney+, and you can find a link to a side-by-side comparison of the short with and without the edits in our show notes on the Talk Film Society website. All in all, Melody Time had a budget of $1.5 million, and it ended up making $2.56 million in worldwide rentals. Now let's hop back to 1947, when the Walt Disney Company released their second package film, Fun and Fancy Free. As I said earlier, this film is comprised of two shorts. Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk. Bongo is based off a short story that was published in the Cosmopolitan by Sinclair Lewis. Walt originally wanted to make it a sequel to Dumbo, and it would have included characters from the original film. There was also talk of a chimpanzee and two bear cubs helping Bongo make his escape, and the animation would have made the animals look more realistic. Mickey and the Beanstalk was also going to be a feature-length movie, even though Walt didn't like the idea at first. Production began in May of 1940, and it was originally going to be called The Legend of Happy Valley. Similar to Bongo, characters from early films were originally going to make an appearance. In one draft, Honest John and Gideon swindle Mickey for the cow. Another version had Minnie as the queen, who gave Mickey her family heirloom, the beans, for his cow. Both ideas were scrapped. Notably, this short is the last time Walt Disney voices Mickey Mouse. He was an avid smoker, which wore down his vocal cords, so he handed over the job to the head of sound effects, Jimmy McDonald. I'd like to note that McDonald is uncredited for his sound work in Disney films, from Snow White to The Many Adventures of the Winnie the Pooh, so this is me telling everyone what he did. One thing the Walt Disney Company did with all their package films is re-release the packages as individual shorts for television and film, and that definitely happened with Fun and Fancy Free. In the original film, Edgar Bergen narrates Mickey and the Beanstalk, but in a second version of the short made for television, Sterling Holloway narrates the story. This starts a trend where the story is narrated by multiple different people, including Sherry Lewis in Lamb Chop.
1: Man, now I'm just upset that we got we we're saddled with the 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 dumb puppet man when we could have had more Sterling, Sterling Holloway.
0: I- I wouldn't, God. Have, wouldn't have that. That would have been amazing.
1: This this podcast is very quickly becoming just every episode is the Sterling Holloway Stan Hour.
0: Listen, he is a national treasure. We love. We love. So Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk were set to be their own separate feature length films and were in development by 1941. However, after Pearl Harbor, the company couldn't work on the productions until the war ended. That, combined with the company's difficult financial situation, meant they had to scale down on production. All in all, critics had a rather lukewarm response to Fun and Fancy Free, but it went on to make $3.165 million in worldwide rentals. The Walt Disney Company's fourth and final package film was 1949's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Production began in the early 1940s and wasn't going too well until the Bambi team wrapped up on that film and came in to help. But they hit another snag. Pearl Harbor. There's a pattern here if you hadn't noticed. By the time Pearl Harbor happens, The Wind in the Willows was already well into the animation process, so that was actually one of the few shorts that was allowed to continue production through the war but Walt scrapped the project because he felt like the quality of it did not match his previous films. Production picked back up in 1946, but the company went into the project knowing that they were going to make it a package film. Originally, The Wind in the Willows was going to be paired with Mickey and the Beanstalk, as both were narrative shorts based off of books. But they were just really sold on this bongo idea, so Wind in the Willows was eventually paired with Sleepy Hollow. Critics liked The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad more than the previous films, saying it had good narrative and high energy. Financially, though, it only made about half as much as Fun and Fancy Free at $1.625 million in worldwide rentals. But it did get a Golden Globe for Best Cinematography in Color. So before we move on to discussion, I want to make a quick note about changes in songwriting at the Walt Disney Company at this time, as music plays such a key role in all four of these films. For all Walt Disney films, up until Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros, there were in-house songwriters under exclusive contract. Uh, They had a handful on staff, but there were two very notable ones. Frank Churchill was a pianist. Uh, he was the main composer for Snow White, Dumbo, and Bambi, and wrote the song "Baby Mine." Sadly, he committed suicide just after that song won an Oscar. The second is Lee Harline. He scored the 1947 short, The Old Mill, which we've mentioned a lot throughout our podcast. He also did supplemental scoring for Snow White with the Magic Mirror and the Evil Queen. His most notable work is with Pinocchio. He wrote When You Wish Upon a Star, which apparently Walt despised until he won two Oscars for Best Song and Best Score for Pinocchio. At that point, Walt went on the record saying, well, I guess it's really not that bad. With all his success, Harline left the studio in 1941 after the studio chose Churchill to work on Bambi, and went on to have a very successful career as a freelance composer for various studios. But after 1942, Walt begins to hire commercially successful non-studio songwriters, which brings forth this new era in Disney films, where the music is more commercial and popular in style. In fact, in his essay, Make Walt's Music, Ross Kerr calls Melody Time and Make Mine Music quote, Fantasia-like pop music anthologies. Kerr goes on to say, quote, Indeed, the beautifully designed and scored Melody Time lays the groundwork for the renaissance of Disney-featured animation commenced with Cinderella in 1950.
1: Make Mine Music.
0: Make mine music.
1: This also sounds familiar.
0: No. N- nope. No. I haven't heard of that. Never heard of it. Never even heard of it. I have never heard of that or seen
1: it. Uh heard of it? Never seen it. That I've definitely heard of. Is that one of the ones that's like narrated by like this, this duck?
2: That's the one where Disney or not Disney, Donald, like the conductor. Oh my god,
3: yes, is that the one that's like the the Jack of the Beanstalk, there's a giant?
1: I mean it's definitely it's about music.
3: Fuck no, in that case <laughs> I don't.
1: <laughs> (laughs) I want to say it's like teaching music to kids or it's like a sing-along or something like that. I think
2: I'm thinking of like filler magic.
1: So I guess I don't.
0: (laughs) So I say (laughs) we, we start like we did last time. We'll just do each movie individually, you know, make my music and fun and fancy free this time we'll save melody time and ichabod and mr toad for our next episode because you know we don't want this to get too long and then at the end we'll kind of just do a holistic discussion of all four if there's even anything you can say about all four of these in connection with one another because they are all over the place.
1: I was I was gonna make a pretty blanket statement, but then I remembered we actually liked that la- the last one, and was like, oh no, I can't just say they're all bad. Never exactly, mind. Exactly,
0: exactly, because that's the thing—you can't just say one thing about all these and have it be true. Um, for those who have not been following our tales of woe, this is the second time Harrison and I have had to watch these films.
1: Alex broke all her shit. <laughs>
0: So we both put this off to like the last minute and basically both just finished watching what we needed Fun to watch f- for yeah. today. And now we're going to try to talk about these again. <laughs> mm.
1: How you feeling about this, Harrison? <laughs> this was bad. This was worse than the first time, honestly.
0: Yeah. Because at least you weren't like as surprised to see what was about to happen. It was all just yeah. like, you just kind of knew what was going to happen and you were like, well...
1: Like this made me like the one, like the segments that I liked last time less,
4: mm-hmm.
1: because they weren't as. Like, I mean, we might as well st- just start with make my music because it's the most prevalent there. Yeah, like I had no patience for any of this at all.
0: So there wasn't even one short that you and in- that you tolerated.
1: I, s- I still like the fourth wall medium awareness of. All the cats join in, but it's just it's this whole, that th- this whole movie's interminable. It's a I I was able to find a version of it that it was all stuck together.
0: Oh, nice, nice.
1: <clears throat> Man, that did not help matters. <laughs> An hour fifteen straight of these, the worst, absolute say, worst.
0: Yeah, because what I did was I went back like I did last time, and I just found the individual clips on YouTube, and it made it okay because it segmented it into manageable chunks because apart from like peter and the wolf uh johnny fedora and alice bluebonnet and the whale all these are like five minutes not even four minutes like they're like a manageable length it's not like you're sitting there and like suffering through a long period of time so you have little breaks where you can just kind of be like oh Mm -hmm. i can breathe now (laughs) like we don't have to like watch this much longer but
1: but nope hour 15 locked in boy I tell see the really f- the really frustrating thing is you get to Peter and the wolf mm. and you're like okay this is the seventh one it comes halfway through the runtime
0: oh yeah because the back half is so heavy
1: yeah yeah like. Peter and the Wolf is fine because you get to listen to Sterling Holloway, who has become, like, my fi- my favorite part of this whole project of ours because we get to hear him so much. Right. Um, But, man, just everything about this movie is a, a slog. Like, so, there's no... Uh, well, okay,
0: so, but let's break this down. Instead of just saying it's a slog, let's, like... Yeah, that's let's fair. Let's pick apart and say, like, what exactly is not working in Make My Music? Um... You seem like the most upset about it out of the two of us.
1: (laughs) I'm really irritated by this because watching it all in a single thing, Mm -hmm. like one of the things I was really positive on, sorry, I keep coming back to Fantasia, but it's a good counterpoint because it's also um, an anthology. Mm -hmm. But Fantasia has the benefit of everything being like paced out And, like, structured in a way that all flows together really well. Um, Like, go back and listen to the Fantasia episode if you don't remember me going nuts over the last three musical segments being perfectly paced. Um, But, like, going from the the Martins and the Coys to the Blue Bayou to all the cats join in is just complete and utter whiplash. It is. It's it's so bizarre.
0: You go from the Martins and the Coys where... Like literally the end scene is the is Grace and What's-His-Face like going at each other violently and then it cuts and then you just get this really mellow music with like this really muted blue background and it's so calm and peaceful and you're like, wait a minute, I thought we were just, we were on something else completely. And I think another issue that kind of goes with pacing that I noticed was the way that they structured this movie is they'd kind of have like an upbeat segment and then like more of a ballad or like a lower like a downer not a downer but a more calm sound music Mm -hmm. you know or they'd go from something that was more narrative based and then do something that wasn't narrative based at all so for me i had a really hard time like i just felt like my my (laughs) engagement level was all over the place and then you know, when we get from Martins and the Coyes, which is so heavily narrative-based, and then we go to something like the Blue Bayou, which isn't, I'm over mm-hmm. here sitting here thinking, like, all right, what are the cranes doing? What are Like, I'm trying to follow the cranes and what they're doing, and, like, what's the story that they're trying to tell? When really, at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter what the cranes are doing. It's more so just, right. like, a experimental piece to flex is mostly what that one is.
1: Like, they, in- they introduced Blue Bayou as a tone poem, which, okay get off the horse for a minute get off your high horse it's fine well oh go ahead sorry no you're good go for it
0: i was gonna say and let's just think about the fact that when make my music was re-released in the 90s martins and the coys wasn't in it so the movie opens with blue bayou
1: honestly stronger opening you think so significantly why one i just don't like the martins and the coys a whole bunch and also the way it kind of ends on oh haha domestic violence is real bad Mm -hmm. um but just like setting, like the 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 stretch of blue bayou, all the cats join in, and without you are, a, I think, a much more cohesive introduction to this thing because you get like they're they're more vibey, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's more of like a. I don't want to say ex- it's more it's more focused on the artistry. Mm-hmm. And the tone than it is the story that it's telling. Right. Yeah.
1: And it more it almost it more evenly distributes out the narrative stuff towards the back end mm-hmm. and opens with the more artistic tone poemy um aesthetic choices that they make. Like all the cats joined in kind of has a narrative of, oh, we're gonna go out and have a good time. Uh, which bridges the two, and it almost makes it every other one is narrative in some form. But then you still have Casey at the Bat that happens, and Casey at the Bat's bad.
0: (laughs) We'll get to that one in a second. Because I guess for me, like, as a viewer who found Fantasia to be alright, you know... I think for me, if a movie opened and the first thing I saw was Blue Bayou, I would be like completely disengaged as a viewer, especially when you build towards something that is the whale who wanted to sing at the opera, you know, like what you're going into does. And especially like, I think you bring up a good point. Like those first three package films are, they work really well in tandem. You know, they work as like, they work decently as a unit. But it's if you take that and separate it from like the back half of the film, it they seem like two completely different. right, you know, pieces together. And I feel like, yeah, which then again, I think is just a critique of the package film as a medium in general, right? Like if you don't have something, if you don't have the pacing and the thematics down like you did in Fantasia, then ultimately right. it doesn't work. Like I said this the last time we recorded it and I stand by it now. I did not have to think about pacing and how every, all the different segments flowed together in Fantasia because it just happened. It just works mm-hmm. so naturally. Whereas with this one, it is so apparent that these all don't really work t- when you stuff them together. And it just makes it so glaringly obvious in something like this that you have to address
1: it, Right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, like, considering that these, like, they had to keep the lights on during the Second World War, yes. I understand why the, it is the way it is, but also, yikes, guys, <laughs> yikes.
0: They did, they, You you did your best, we see that, but at the yeah. same time, like, what... <laughs>
1: What? I will say sig- significantly less racially racially questionable material in this than in the last two movies we talked about. Yes, I'll, I'll I'll take the W there. Not to say that there isn't still some questionable material in there, like the Martins and the Coys is pretty classist just across the board.
0: Well, I think like I noticed a lot of classism, especially in the last two. And when you look at, yeah, you know, there's like, there was a death, like, I think those two really work well together because like, it's not, it's not slap across your face, but it is there. So like in the fedora blue bonnet sketch, it's just that one, that sketch, <laughs> short <laughs> We are not I'm talking about SNL right
1: now. Okay, but like that also kind of like the fact that you would said that one, yes, slip of the tongue, but two, that's kind of the feel they it have.
0: It is because like, yeah, the length, the you're trying, they're trying their best, but it kind of falls short. Like it it's, just it's a
1: half, it's a half baked, half executed idea that yes. they just kind of had to put out because of a deadline.
0: Right. Um. But going back to what I was saying, like the um, with Fedora and Blue Bonnet. There's that one very subtle scene when Fedora it's Johnny Fedora, right? Am I like just or am I It's
1: it's Johnny Fedora? Johnny yeah. Fedora.
0: Like he ends up like in an alley and then this very vague looking man, but you can kinda you can tell he's black just because you can see his hand and his face and everything, you know, picks him up and a discarded cigarette, puts him on, goes like is all like literally like the way he is animated as he is going into a bar is very like, you know, He's presented as a shady character. You know, he's definitely trying to stay in the shadows. The hat, like, covers his face. He's just trying to, like, get in. And then, like, this whole, like, fight erupts at the bar, right?
1: And the cops roll in and do a brutality on him.
0: Yep, yep. So you kind of see that and you're like, oh, (laughs) that's fun. Um, Especially when juxtaposed to the um, department store that the two hats are in and, like, the people who bought johnny and alice you know like you, mm-hmm. you kind of see the society that both of the hat wearers are in and you know the fact that like one guy is white and one guy is black you can kind of you know you can make a socio-racial economic i'm just throwing out words but you can make it you can make the connection there right right and then the whole idea that like the whale just wants to sing at the opera and oh no a whale could never sing in the opera it's not done clearly he must have swallowed three opera singers instead that is the only explanation for someone who is so clearly not fit for the opera to be interested in singing like an opera singer like
1: Mm -hmm. to be like they do uh, that gets a little obfuscated because it's a literal whale yes (laughs) Um, so I can kind of understand the the captain being like, nah, he eight people and we gotta get him out. But like I, I, I see where you're going with that. I see the metaphor I see the central metaphor you're working with there. Yeah. That makes that makes sense.
0: Okay. But okay. Anything else on like pacing and flow and tone.
1: No like th- I think we've covered pacing pretty significantly the only the only stuff I have left on here is just how bad the individual shorts are
0: <laughs> well let's talk okay cuz I guess. Do we want to go in order, or do we just want to jump right to Casey and the Bat? Because I know we both have stuff to say about Casey and the Bat.
1: I fundamentally do not understand why Casey and the Bat is such an <laughs> everlasting staple of American folklore. I, I don't wondering.
0: get it. I like. I
1: don't get it. I like baseball. I like baseball, fine. But guys, what the hell? What America? Why?
0: Okay, explain. The- what about it? Like, what about the story? Do you not un- like? Do you not understand the appeal about?
1: A a good baseball man struck out. I don't understand why this is so important. I don't get it. He lost the game. It happens. It happens. I don't get it. (laughs) I just don't understand.
0: Like, why would you devote seven minutes to something as simple as this?
1: Yeah, so trivial and, like, honestly, uh, like, like, uh, unsurprising. Like, everybody strikes out. Everybody's done it. Babe Ruth struck out a couple of times like, like it, it happens and like I know good poetry is made about unimportant things but like and like new unimportant things are like oftentimes very important in hindsight but like y'all someone lost a baseball game someone lost a <laughs> fictional baseball game it's fine
0: but it's not fine because it was Casey Harrison it d- was Casey who is this man? <laughs> I know nothing about this man. (laughs) Yeah, we don't. Well, what we know is that he's good with the ladies, he's good with the baseball, and he's a good Christian man. That's all we know.
1: Yeah, that's it. And then he gets the yips at the end and can't hit a baseball to save his life. And just stands out in the rain, trying to hit this ball and can't do it. I'm like, okay, I don't care.
0: Yeah, I guess like for me, I just thought it was a very interesting, the whole thing. It was just a very interesting look at gender and masculinity specifically Mm -hmm. Um, because it's so like this whole movie is very heteronormative, but we really, I think, see gender roles come out in this specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, At the very beginning, you know, they say, oh, the ladies, like they didn't understand baseball, but they just went to see Casey, right? It's like they go for the sex appeal they don't go to like mm-hmm. enjoy the game right and you have that them fawning over a baseball player juxtaposed with the men who are so into the game that they're like hitting one another when they don't agree because that's how we deal with people we don't agree with is that we smack them over the head and tell them to shut up you know makes total I mean, sense
1: i mean yeah it's an east coast sports tradition you go to philadelphia after a sports game you go and get punched Wait, really, dude? Philadelphia people love their sports. It's wild.
0: See, I had no idea. I was just like, guys, calm I mean, down. It's just baseball.
1: I mean, there's a reason. Like, Philadelphia. Like, I'm using Philadelphia as a punching bag, but like a lot of cities do this. A lot of a lot of cities and sports fans riot when their teams win, let alone when they lose. Like, sports fanaticism is wild
0: well then it's interesting that it's they show it here because what's interesting then is at the end of the movie not the movie again the 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 short when casey strikes out you know he swings the bat the wind goes everywhere and then what do we see next we see life moving on the birds still sing the children still play The sun still shines, life moves on. But Casey Casey
1: has struck out and can't move past it. He
0: can't move past it. And I just think, like, for one, I thought it was interesting, not knowing anything about this poem or East Coast sports fanaticism, that they actually showed this epitome of masculinity, fail. For mm-hmm. one, I was like, "Oh, interest!" Like you know, it subverts, subverts your expectations. I thought he was just gonna hit it and it'd be fine, but then like we we see is we see him like he can't get over it. It's something that like he's like he literally like he the way he reacts to it is in such like a non mature way <laughs> that I was like, "Well, I guess to me, I was like, oh, this paints a very interesting, not necessarily." like forgiving image of masculinity right of or like this hyper masculinity um and it's a rather honest one that i i felt like so for me i thought that was kind of sad that was satisfying at the end now was the build-up way too much yes but that was the case for all of these i would Mm -hmm. dare to say
1: no nothing you're saying is wrong uh i just i just don't give a shit
0: that's fine that's (laughs) and i think that show goes to show like you can have something with good material, like, you know, with something to it. But, like, if you can't yeah. get your audience to care about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also, I just, I need, this needs to be said. Uh, you Just American sports fanaticism in general is like this, not just the East Coast. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get yelled at for <laughs> neglecting <laughs> to mention the fact that, uh, like, San Francisco and L.A. people go absolutely batshit when their teams win as well. So... No, it's, it is, it is an American thing. It's not necessary. <laughs> and then like English soccer fans, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just sports fanaticism in general is a whole thing. And I do think this does a good job of like highlighting that, especially when the, like the umpire is like ready to strike out Casey and the woman is like, Kell kill
4: him
0: yeah, right.
1: <laughs> and like pulls the hairpin out and like brandishes it like a sword. Right. I'm like, all right.
0: Good to know. This is but- what we're doing. <laughs>
1: yeah a bit much but all right
0: <laughs> any other one you just want to vent about
1: not particularly it's the only like casey and the bat's the only one i fundamentally don't under like have issues with because i just don't understand the source material at all yeah uh <laughs> listeners if you really give a shit about casey and the bat and want to defend it uh dream what's the email <laughs>
0: dream a little deeper pod at com.
1: <laughs> write in and tell me off please let <laughs> L- let me hear it let me hear why that's a good poem and i will i will try not to be dismissive um but yeah no like peter and the wolf good 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 sterling hallway good music like it's fine like everything else here is just kind of fine see I but didn't it not like work. i did not
0: like peter and the wolf
1: <laughs> okay explain why
0: so here's the thing and I know I brought this up last time, but I'm going to bring no it up. One's again. Gonna,
1: but no one's going to hear last time, <laughs> Alex.
0: <laughs> but you've heard it, so I don't know if you remember this or not. But I mentioned this last time, and it was that it would have worked. I think the music was great. I just want to say that off the front. like. I love that piece in general. I wish a they didn't have to explain for the first like three minutes. Peter is played by the violins. The bird is played by this. You know, I just felt like it took up a lot of time. And it's something the audience could have put together as they were watching it. Or if not, something that someone who is really paying attention could put together, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it invites you to, like, engage in it, I think, a little more. Also, I love me some Sterling Holloway. I do. But we really did not need the narration for that. You could have cut out the narration mm-hmm. and it could have worked still and better, so what
1: so, what I'm hearing is this would have worked better with the music carrying the story and the animation helping it out
0: yes
1: it, it's 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 almost like it's almost like there's a whole movie that does that, Alex,
0: yeah, I'm aware,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. The whole two movies that do it.
0: I know. I oh. I, I understand what you're getting at.
1: I totally oh. get I
0: know. I know. I get oh. it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh
0: I know. I'm becoming a snob. I understand. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: but I think it's true. Like, and what it made me think of is Sesame Street did a Peter and the Wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And what they did was the it was one of two things. I, th- I haven't seen it in a while, but if I remember correctly, like all the different Muppets played different roles, but they were followed by a musician who would play that instrument while they like were walking around and like not speaking and stuff. Um, so it was still kind of like dumbed down a little bit from like just listening to the actual piece and having nothing to aid your imagination. Um, but I like that execution. Because it still isn't, like, explained to you like you're three, right? Right. You still kind of have to work a little bit to put the pieces together. Um, also, when I was young and watched that, that was terrifying. The wolf freaked me out so much.
1: Big, bad, scary wolf?
0: Not 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 the Disney one, the Sesame Street one. But I will say something oh. about this wolf in Disney. I'm pretty sure it is the same design for the wolf that they use in Sword in the Stone, It's kind of like that lanky wolf with the jaw, like when he Mm -hmm. pants, it's kind of the same animation. When we get to Sword in the Stone, we'll have to like return to this. We'll have to.
1: Yeah, we'll have to look back. Yeah. Um, I will say something that does kind of it's it's beginning to bug me a lot more is and I, I talked about this in our Bambi episode, the fact that like they have these serious moments that just completely get undercut by the slapstick that they feel like they have to shoe in. Mm -hmm. Like Peter and the wolf could have like just told straight with this Disney style. Great. Could have been awesome. Love it. Go for it. But the fact that they have to keep, they keep shoehorning in the weird like slapstick comedy stuff of like people falling over, people like banging their heads on stuff, dropping their fake hats in in the case of that bird. um, Really just, undermines a lot of what they're what they could be going for in my opinion and i understand that this is ultimately a cartoon for children so (laughs) on that end i will also i will also defend the narration because yes alex it is intended for three-year-olds whatever
0: whatever (laughs) but and one more thing on peter and the wolf because you brought up um the undercutting the seriousness of it all Mm -hmm. they completely changed the ending So the narration said the guy says the duck like they like you could hear the duck quack still because the wolf swallowed it whole. But then what the animation shows completely goes against the narration and we see the duck reunite with the bird because the duck actually never died.
1: No, the duck's fine.
0: Which I thought was interesting, though, because like we talked a lot with previous um, episodes and we will in the future, I'm sure, about how disney oftentimes changes the source material to make it more palatable for younger audiences and make it more family friendly right like a lot of these fairy tales and stories that he draws upon are very dark and have a lot of like very graphic things that happen in them um but he oftentimes like his i shouldn't say walt specifically but his company and the animators and the storyboarders and the writers they'll change certain elements so other people you know it's more popular, yeah. so more people can enjoy it, right? But, like, literally, like, we see that happening in this moment. Like, we see, this is what the story says, but this is how the company's gonna change it. And it's kind of right. like, they do it as a slap so like, like a little wink to the audience, like, oh, ha-ha, like the duck's alive! woohoo!" Um But, yeah, like, it's just, it's interesting because, like, you, it's this, I feel like it's this trend that will just continue, mm-hmm. you know? I would also like to note that without you... And um, after you've gone, without you and after you've gone, completely forgot those existed. Yep. Have no recollection of watching those the first time around. Nope. Had zero. None at
1: all. Zero. Um, Completely forgettable.
0: Completely. And then the last thing I wanted to bring up, it's just a little thing. But this film has such a fixation with the female anatomy that I was uncomfortable at times. Explain. Explain martin's in the
1: coys oh yeah let me pull up mm-hmm. this
0: quote all right so it's after everyone dies <laughs> and um it's when grace and the dude i can't remember his name but they're the last two alive and the dude sees grace and the literal the line is he was set to pull the trigger when he saw her purdy figure and then we see her in her dress as see-through and we can see the outline yep. of her curves Also, compared to all the other women that we saw, especially in, like, the dance scene, like, again, I'm not trying to, like, she wants to wear a short skirt. That's her decision. But, like, hers is considerably shorter than everyone else's. And it's meant to, like, you know, it goes along with what we said with that. Like, she is sexualized. She is, like,
4: Mm -hmm.
0: the moralized. And also, like, seen up until the end as, like, this moralizing figure. Like, oh, because she's so bodacious and beautiful, the man doesn't want to kill her anymore. Which, like, we see. Yeah doesn't end up being the thing so there was that um all the cats come in or all the cats join in mm-hmm. they do that thing yeah. that they do with little girls where like you can see like their diaper and underwear and stuff and like we see her butt a lot in that mm-hmm. um not to mention there's the one scene where the pencil um erases a woman's curves so that a man is actually interested to dance with her so basically the man sees her he's like nope too fat (laughs) pencil comes in makes her skinny he's like all right we can dance now um so i thought that was weird um and then the other one that i noted was after you've gone a pair of legs a pair of women's legs in like tights and like you can see the under bits of her skirt play the piano it's like two sets of women's legs
1: love that for them
0: yes so I'd
1: lo- I'd love to be a pair of disembodied legs playing the piano. <laughs> that sounds like a good time.
0: Uh, I, I will
1: I will also say with the Martins and the Coys, the fact that she is like the only conventionally attractive woman that you see in that entire thing is also hella classist. Yes. Yes. It's it's bad.
0: Well, yeah, like everyone in the Martins and the Coys is our, like a hillbilly redneck, right? Like that, or that's exa- how they. Ex-
1: yeah, except for our two. Uh, except for our main couple, who end up getting married. They're the only thing close to conventionally attractive mm-hmm. in that whole whole skit. Yep. Whole short. Got, now you've got me doing it.
0: <laughs> they're skits. They're not... Sh- it's like that John Mulaney quote, when he's like, they're not songs, they're psalms. It's like, they're not shorts, they're skits. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was the last thing I had with Make My Own Music. Just like the... I don't appreciate it. And I know, like, it was the 40s, so that's just. That's no excuse. The style, but it's no excuse. It's no excuse at the end of the day. Like, do not use the female anatomy as the butt of the joke or as a way of sexualizing women in these
1: Mm -hmm. shorts. Yeah. Like we said last, like we said in the Good Neighbor episode, just because it was, like, just. It was wrong now it's wrong now, it was wrong then. Mm-hmm. Just because people don't want to admit it doesn't mean it's not the case.
0: And I will say one sorry, one last thing. All the cats joined in. I did enjoy it more this time.
1: It's than, it's it's fun.
0: It is fun, I will say. Like there were the bits that I didn't like. But the part that really like captured my attention was when the guy phones the girl. And mm-hmm. the way they did that transition was really cool because they drew the phone lines and then they drew the line going into the house and then they drew the house and the girl sitting in the house and then like that's when the phone rang, right? So I just yeah. thought that that was clever and I thought that was fun. Even if Any, like it was yeah. inconsistent in its animation style, it's fine.
1: Anytime a pencil is drawing a cartoon while the cartoon is going, it's a good cartoon.
0: Medium aware.
1: Love it. Love it to pieces. Harrison's favorite. Good, good. It's the best. Good shit. Fun and Fancy Free. Uh, That's another one I don't know anything about. Nope. Nope. Never seen it. Never heard of it or seen it.
0: Never heard of it. Sounds like Fancy Feast. Are there cats? Heard of that one. Don't know
2: anything about it. Yes, I have seen Fun and Fancy Free. I've definitely seen Fun and Fancy Free.
1: I've seen, that's like a collection that has a few. Yeah, I've seen that. That's
2: a weird one.
0: That's the one with the cricket who's kind of like... Uh, for lack of a better term, he's kind of hosting a show and it's a bunch of, like, shorts.
1: Jack and the Beanstalk?
0: I d- probably haven't seen that since I was in, like, elementary
1: school.
3: But then, like, you have this one segment, which, like, I the a child really stuck with me. Um, I remember there being a ventriloquist and his doll, which gave me actual nightmares. There's, like, mannequins? I would have to close my eyes and my dad was like, It's just a toy! And I was like, It's going to kill me! All right, switching gears. You know what's not,
1: you know what's, yeah, you know what's not good shit? Fun and Fancy Free. Fuck this movie.
0: Should I go on my like pacing rant again? Because Do it. My issue with Fun and Fancy Free, and I'm not as impassioned about it this time as I was the last time, so we will probably not go on a 15-minute
1: rant. <laughs> Alex, nobody can hear that.
0: So basically, the issue with Fun and Fancy Free is that it is two shorts pulled together by a thread. Literally a minuscule one thread count thread that could snap at any minute. And I'm pulling out the scissors because it's time. When you look at Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk, what similarities are there? Except for the fact that they both have an antagonist who is big, burly, and scary which we can get to that in a minute. Cause I have thoughts about uh, Willie um, and the fact that they both have a quote, happy ending. What are the similarities? Uh,
1: the similarities are they were both supposed to be full length movies and then they ran out of money.
0: <laughs> Correct. But that does not mean that they should be in the same movie. Like we have, like we'll talk about Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Like that works well as two shorts put together into one film. Mm-hmm. When you have a story about a bear learning to bear and Mickey and his friends literally trying to not starve to death, <laughs> they just have different vibes. I also but how do they string it together though? Like how are how is how are they tying these two together? So like the film opens with Jiminy Cricket in his Acting. little boat. <laughs>
1: acting completely out of character yes
0: completely out of character just singing about fun and fancy free and i want to get like, to that I'm chill in
1: a minute. i'm good we vibing i'm, I'm gonna like, go no, you don't vibe i'm Ugh. gonna
0: get to that in a minute because that made me mad too all right so we start with that so that is where we are beginning how do we end we see willie the giant breaking the fourth wall basically stopping around hollywood lifting up roofs Like, how, like, how does this, how does the, how do we get from point A to point B? Really, it was as if they kind of had the idea for Bongo. And they're like, okay, Jiminy Cricket comes in, he's out of character talking about Fun and Fancy Free, he puts on the record, we listen to the song, it's done. And then, like, you kind of get a hint, like, okay, maybe, like, how we get to Jack and the Beanstalk, making the Beanstalk works. He sees the invitation because he sees the bear and the doll are doing their thing, (laughs) which also, like, no. And he's like, okay, I'll go to this party. But the thing that we, the issue we run into is that we jump from a completely animated realm to a completely live action realm. And in a realm where Jiminy Cricket's character has absolutely no consequence. None. Zero. His existence at that party, like the part, the scene could continue without him. And it's okay. Okay. It doesn't matter. Like I forgot he was in that room until we had those random cutaway shots when he's like drinking the lemonade and he's like, oh, that's not good. Like they literally just threw him in there for some sake of continuity (laughs) because they were like, well, we can't just abandon him completely or else we could like literally there'd be nothing tying this movie together. Right. Right. So Jiminy, like, like, like I said, like he, his existence at the party no consequence it's as if he isn't even there he's just a creepy fly in the wall listening to this story and it doesn't even end on him like even if like willie leaves and he jumps out of the window he looks at the camera and he's like oh that was funny and then he sings the title song as he walks into the distance like that would be a better ending and it would tie it together at least a little better but it didn't we ended with willie i just don't understand who approved this <laughs>
1: I love that you called Jiminy the creepy bug at the party. Like, the party isn't already (laughs) sus as hell itself. Yeah,
0: no kidding. I mean, any time... A
1: grown man with, with like, two puppets and a hand covered in makeup invite a child over to just kind of hang out. Nah, that's that's very that's sketch it's bad
0: like no wonder no wonder people were scared about stranger danger like back in like they still are but even more so back in the day because like parents were just letting their kids go over to their neighbor's house to have cake and ice cream like
1: the creepy puppet man
0: (laughs) oh
1: oh my goodness no yeah no this movie's bad
0: it's just bad it's just bad
1: I also find it extremely funny that, like in the in that interstitial, like right after Bongo, like Jiminy Cricket has this weird thing for inanimate women, <laughs> uh, which carries over from Pinocchio. Yes. But like the fact that like he he had to put the bear and the doll together,
4: mm-hmm.
1: like because they they. Like that's how that works. Mm-hmm. He knocked over the woman earlier and put her back up. Like it's clear she doesn't have any autonomy of her own because she's you know a doll. And then he acts like, "Oh man, I gotta leave. They're 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 having the, some private time." I'm like my guy, you put them there. What are we doing? <laughs> Done. Moving on. Let's talk about Bongo. Let's talk about Wait, another
0: real quick before we go on to Bongo, because oh, my my thing also has to do with Jiminy Cricket in the opening. All right, go for it. So, I understand that this is a post-war piece where everyone's spirits are pretty low. Like, yes, they won the war, but, like, you know, things are difficult after the war. And I get, like, that that is why the movie's called Fun and Fancy Free, and they're all about, like, just having a good time. But Jiminy's song in the beginning just kind of really rubbed me the wrong way, mm-hmm. because he was looking at the newspapers, and he's mm-hmm. like we shouldn't let this stress us out. Like we shouldn't let this worry us. Like we just need to.
1: There's literally a story. There's literally a story in the newspaper about rising sea levels. Like, I'm sorry, my guy. Fuck you.
0: Well, and the thing is, it's just such a classist approach where uh, towards the problems of the world where it's very clear that this people who live in this home and Jiminy specifically and the audience that Disney is trying to like reach out to you know, it's they all live in a world where these problems in the newspaper may not directly affect them in that moment. Mm -hmm. So the outlook is if it's not affecting us right now, why worry about it? Without realizing, you know, there are people who are not as privileged as you who these issues are affecting, you know, and it's not like and not taking action and not trying to help out your neighbor and your friend and or at least just other people in the world to have a decent life like i don't know it's just like that whole outlook of like it's not affecting me personally so it's not a real problem
1: yeah and that hits real different in (laughs) december and january of 2020 to 2021 like that hits real different
0: again it it makes a little more sense like, I, I, I don't want to say it makes sense to justify it, but I understand why that is the message the company was putting forward at this time. But it probably wasn't even that good of a message in the 40s because, you know, there's still people mm-hmm. who are well, maybe well, it wasn't the coronavirus like there were other big world issues that people were suffering from.
1: Like, I'm I'm sorry, we literally just dropped the bombs on Japan. Like, this came out in September of 47, and the bombs went down.
0: 42, right? No, 45. Yeah. 45. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like, the bombs are now on everyone's mind. Like, mm-hmm. you can't just be, like, and the, the, Japan's still not over that. Like, you can't just be like, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine, when you've just exacted, like, one of the most cataclysmic events in human history right it's it's uh, i hate i hate it let's talk about bongo let's talk talk about about the horn let's talk about the horny bear (laughs) (sighs) wasn't this thing supposed to be a sequel to dumbo didn't we talk about that at one point
0: basically what they were gonna do was it was gonna be a sequel to dumbo but dumbo wasn't gonna be in it but they were gonna include other characters from dumbo and i think it's it works like even though it's not a an official sequel to Dumbo it kind of works because you see like we talked a lot about in the Dumbo episode about marketing yourself and that performance lifestyle and you know like you know you are the product right
1: and you will find and you can find personal satisfaction and happiness within marketing yourself as the product right and that will subsist you through uh life and hey guess what Bongo what Bongo presupposes is what if it doesn't? Yeah, it's the and the fact that this was in like if we read this as a sequel to Dumbo, yes, it's different characters, but the thematics kind of carry forwards. Yeah, because Bongo finds himself in the place that Dumbo does at the end of at the end of that movie, thoroughly unhappy. Mm-hmm. It's the it is the moving goalposts of capitalism for the working class. Capitalism thrives on keeping the working class miserable and like poor and upset at their situation so they keep functioning within capitalism and attempt to make something better and just keep moving the goalposts of like okay well yeah you're happy now but this is real happiness this is real happiness and keep keeps shifting down um, so Bongo just goes fuck it I'm leaving
0: <laughs> well I think the one difference though is Dumbo and where we end with Dumbo and where we begin with Bongo are not entirely the same because while well, yes, Dumbo has sold himself to the capitalist machine, he still has his mom. Right? He still at least mm-hmm. has some form of love and that loving connection. Whereas Bongo doesn't have that, and it's in this short where he finds that, right? Yeah. So I so I are we, I do are, ag- are we, oh, mm-hmm. so I was gonna say I do agree that I think you it is very it you should read this as a like yeah like what if you just decide to yeet out of the system and find your own way but i think and it's like what if bongo had lulu bear before yeah right like would that be any different
1: I think, I think so, because I think it's very interesting that he yeets himself, as you put it, he yeets himself out of capitalism, <laughs> or as best he can, and is thoroughly unequipped to handle the nighttime. Yes. And just the amount of noise that he has to contend with at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, so he yeets himself out of capitalism into the wild, finds himself thoroughly unequipped to handle it, and takes shelter in <laughs> heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. So, like it which, in and itself, in and of itself is a tool of capitalism. So
0: explain that just for people who may not understand. Uh,
1: yeah, so the idea that, like uh, heteronormativity is such a complicated idea. It's the like, man, how do I even begin to unpack this? Um, it it, first off, it starts with the idea that like, in American society, at least in our current ca- American capitalist system, I said, like, I can only speak to the American experience. I can't speak to anywhere else, but there's, it's the idea that like, like heterosexuality is the default. There is a, and you are compelled to participate in, um, heterosexuality to the, to as much as you can. Like it's this notion that of, heterosexuality as compulsion as requirement so it basically flattens the field and it's like the norm is hetero heterosexuality one man one woman 2.5 kids and then a house with a yard and a white picket fence that is the american ideal quote unquote which shocker in recent years has kind of fallen apart and been shown as the hollow uh to the hollow dream uh, and goalpost that capitalism tells you you are supposed to have. American capitalism, it tells you you are supposed to have in order to keep you functioning and content within the machine to keep striving for uh, so you, like, don't ever, like, question, well, why why am I striving for this? So in order to, like, with that goal put there, you need the heteronormativity there as well to, like, keep procreating and, like, keep giving you something else to go for. It is... I'm not sure if I'm making sense right now because it's, like, so much of it is a tangled mess of theory and it's very kind of difficult to explain. So let me...
0: This is what I heard. And, like, Mm -hmm. I kind of... This is what I think you're getting at. So you explaining heteronormativity makes sense, right? It is the assumption in United States culture that heterosexuality is the default you know it is the assumption that that is the standard for everyone right it's why like everyone just assumes you're straight no one would assume otherwise right like it's just that it's a given how it pertains to capitalism is that basically it sounds like capitalism and the American dream are basic go in tandem, right? Because yes. what is the American dream? It's success, it's self made success
1: under capitalism,
0: and which you can make you can achieve with mm-hmm. capitalism. And part of that American dream is this notion of having that stable, he- like heterosexual relationship, man and woman, which procreates so you have children,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and because you are continually succeeding in capitalism you can afford to like have that house that is your own space you can afford to have the children so that they can have the children and continue it on so it's basically like th- that's correct right that's what you're yes okay.
1: okay yes yeah uh heteronormativity as a tool for as an enabling for capitalism continuing to function yes yeah it's
0: because you need people uh, to enter the
1: workforce
0: at the end of the mm-hmm. day, right? Yeah,
1: and you need them to have a reason to continue to enter the workforce outside of just I need to eat, I need to pay my rent right. or my mortgage at this point. Because people still had those, um, yeah. So the fact that like he eats himself out of like like th- just exploitative entertainment capitalism and falls immediately into heteronormativity in the woods like out of the, like out of one jail uh, no i mean I, I was gonna say out of one jail into another but that's not like, at all what it is it's it's weird because like systems upon systems and how they intertwine it's it's just real weird mm-hmm. this it's as soon as you start to think about anything it just gets weird
0: well and i think what it it goes to show the point that like It makes us question: Is Bongo going to be truly happy with this new life, right? Right. Like, or because, like, I think when you say from one prison to the next, like his life in the circus was depicted as a prison. He's shackled as soon as he leaves the stage. He's tossed around, and his room is a jail cell, right? Like it has Mm -hmm. the bars. It's depicted as a jail, which I think is pretty, a pretty bold statement, just of like in general. Um, but
1: and it does but, echo back to Dumbo, mm-hmm. where Dumbo's mom is literally in prison,
0: yes, but then I guess the the thing the the snag in this reading is that when you put these two lifestyles, like the capitalist lifestyle and the heteronormative lifestyle, they're separated for one, right?
1: Yes in and this no. movie yes and no
0: why a, they so are they, why they, no. They,
1: they are separate in the fact that like they are different spheres of existence and they don't directly affect each other. Mm -hmm. But uh, how does Bongo beat the shit out of the big bear? Oh, okay. By using all the tools he got in the circus to come out on top. Like he's He's riding around on that unicycle all the time. Right. Like that, that, that that mode of life never fully leaves him and it's what enables him to uh essentially to actually win over lullabel like like he's he's got her from the word go you know love at first sight yada 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 mm-hmm. but in order to actually like win her he proves his worth by like flexing the skills he got in the circus so like they're yes they do exist in separate separate spheres um but they're not completely unlinked from each other
0: i see what you're saying i guess the reason why i Because like I'm trying to like it's not like he's I don't want to say like because he didn't get anything from his skills at the circus you know because he didn't get compensated or anything.
1: Yeah, very very um, true.
0: So like I okay I see what you're saying there. Um, Yeah, but like I guess at the end of the day, like the point I'm trying to make is that the the short does not depict his life with Lulu Bell as a prison. No. You know, he is out in the open, he learns to climb the tree, he can basically do whatever he wants whether on the unicycle or not, right? Right. So it's it's showing like
1: And I probably the, goofed earlier by say by saying one prison to another because that's not a, that's not at all what I meant. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah.
0: But I guess it's just trying to think of like but the point I'm making is like one is this resolution a a happy resolution or b like a realistic resolution. You know, is it like is right. it maybe a happy ending but if is this realistically the answer to to eating out of the capitalist system is what i'm saying.
1: Right. Or and guess I, what I, i'm i'm wondering. Yeah. I think I think it's meant to be a happy one but i don't think it's meant to be like cuz i mean ultimately there is no escape from american capitalism short of tearing it all down. Um and i don't think that I, that's not something Walt and co are interested in, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think, I don't think this was made with that, um, that specific narrative in mind. I'm just drawing those connections because like this, this is how dumb, like it literally picks up where Dumbo leaves off mm-hmm. in terms of like Bongo's placement at the front and center of the circus. And he's miserable where Dumbo was happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, And granted, yes, they are different characters and want different things, but also Dumbo is like a week and a half old at the end of that movie, so Dumbo's not exactly interested in romance yet because he's a literal child.
0: But I do think that with both of them, you can see that it's like this very typical Disney ending right where none of it matters as long as you have the people you love with you as long as you find that love and i think we see like in that whether it's romantic love with bongo and lulu bell which we see in all the princess movies or whether it's like a friendship love or like a familial love which we see with dumbo and his mom right it's like the narrative that they are pushing out is like you can't do life without having people around you that I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's real. But I'm just saying this is the narrative that they are trying to, that they are putting out right. with their movies. Yeah. Which is very typical for. That's a very typical Disney mm-hmm. thing.
1: I still don't like this movie.
0: <laughs> well, there's clearly a lot to talk about with it, though. Like, I mean, with
1: Bongo, anyways. Yes.
0: The only other thing I had with Bongo was I thought it was interesting. <sighs> I guess it was because I just watched Casey at the back, but I was like, ooh, masculinity, because yeah. you have the big burly bear juxtaposed with Bongo, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you assume, like, the big burly, aggressive, hyper-masculine bear would be, like, the one to make it out on top, but no, it's the unicycle-riding, bow-tie-wearing, like, slightly more effeminate, but still masculine bear, you know he's not big and burly he's the same size as the blue bear like you know they look yeah. very similar side by side right so yeah. it's i don't know i thought it was interesting how they were like yeah. rejecting that hyper masculine
1: especially considering like apparently bears flirt by punching each other mm-hmm. Right. so she goes with this peewee herman ass looking motherfucker and it ignores the big burly man who could probably take a hit better Man, how how weird is it that they flirt by hitting each I other? I just
0: didn't like that. I was like, like,
1: like, like I get the term is hit on. Actually,
4: I don't know.
0: Okay, hold on, I I, I'm, I'm looking this up.
1: How do, do bears flirt? Do
0: bears hit each other to say I love you? <laughs> um, oh bear my communication. Ooh.
1: So I I googled how do bears flirt, and the first thing I get is is Google surfaces a line from the Daily Mail, so fucking grain of salt there. Wild bears do the twist to flirt with potential mates through their smelly footprints.
0: Bear may lunge suddenly toward a threat and slap at the ground or surrounding vegetation. If you lure a hungry bear closer than they feel comfortable with food, you may get slapped or even bitten. (laughs) So it's like... So it's mostly like a defense mechanism, right? It is a way to scare mm-hmm. away threats.
1: Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think they flirt by be- by beating each other up.
0: Yeah, there is nothing on the okay, so I'm on bear.org <laughs> Bear.org backslash courtship, hyphen and hyphen mating. And there is nothing about slapping each other. Or like hit maybe? Like let me look hit. <laughs> Yeah, nothing about hitting. So, there's false.
1: This just in Disney presenting false relationship ideals. Shocker. Shocker. So shocked. Bears do not hit when they are when they are in love.
0: All right, anything else about Bongo?
1: i laugh every every time I hear the name. Bongo is such a good name for a bear
0: it really is they did good with that
1: what a what a weird thing
0: it's just a weird it's a weird what, short
1: this is the whole weird movie because remember we come out of bongo and we go to ventriloquism
0: which Ugh. doesn't need which to is, happen no it's bad it's bad it's just slow and
1: not funny
0: and the puppets look so
1: creepy Ventral chrism puppets always look bad.
0: While Harrison and I don't focus on the Edgar Bergen puppet party for very long in our discussion, the scene came up a lot in our interviews. Really, what I noticed was if anyone remembered anything about Fun and Fancy Free, they remembered the puppets.
3: Tasman had a particularly traumatizing memory— Um, I remember there being a ventriloquist and his doll, which gave me actual nightmares. And every time that came on, is he the person that's like telling the story? And then Mickey and his friends sort of come in and it's like a a live action animation hybrid, like you mentioned. Yes. Um, And every single time the ventriloquist dummy came on, I would have to close my eyes. And my dad was like, it's just a toy. And I was like, it's going to kill me. But I remember watching that one on repeat. Okay. I can't remember much of the actual, like, stories, but um, I like that was an absolute staple favourite for me as a kid. And what you remember is, like, feeling scared about the one part. <laughs> like Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's like Pinocchio. It's like, oh, yeah, cute, but then also, like, murdering children.
0: Morgan was also familiar with the Edgar Bergen scenes, and like Tasman, she says that she watched them as a child.
2: Um, it's another one of those... It's another one of those anthology-type movies where you constantly, like, are going to, like, a new story. Um, and most of it is pretty, I guess, like, straightforward, pretty normal. But then, like, you have this one segment, which, like, I a child, really stuck with me, um, where there's, like, mannequins. Well, not mannequins. The, uh, they're, like, the dummies. The, the ventriloquists yes there's a segment with that
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and
2: it's really kind of jarring because i it hate happens, that man it happens like halfway through the movie like you're yeah. watching it you're fine and then all of a sudden these really creepy dolls show up <laughs> and try to tell you the story and they're really like one's just an asshole the other one not pc he has some issues like i know again like not trying to be PC of police here but like it's not great mm-hmm. um but yeah, that fun and fancy free. I've like always kind of like thought was weird. I loved it growing up, though. You know, I would watch all of the, like the little stories and thought they were great. Had very little attention span, so it was perfect for me. Usually fast forwarded through the dummy part, as, as you do, <laughs> as you do. Yeah i I have found that that one that one I'm less surprised about. People not seen as much but I do think that more people have seen that than they've seen Three Caballeros. Mm-hmm. so go figure.
0: I don't know what they were thinking but I think he was just someone that Disney liked because in that same um, Disneyland TV episode I was talking about where Walt was like work Magic Mirror the- Edgar Bergen mm-hmm. is there with his, red twil- his little dummies and the it. not PC one hits on Catherine Beaumont and she's like 12 of course that makes sense that checks out <laughs> right I was like oh he's like come on Tuts, you want to get out of here find a little get some alone yeah no like full on was like propositioning sex with this 12 year old like all right it's just like you
2: know. I think like that like even in Fun and Fancy Free like there's like a couple like comments that they make that I'm like why are they making that comment in a kids movie like I know right. this is supposed to fly over kids heads but I don't think that would have fl- I don't think that, that flew over my head like, I feel like I probably had questions that I just repressed <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, right. well, I was Like, oh, can't talk about this. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's well, not good. Well, especially because, like, the Hayes Office was a thing. Yeah,
4: yeah. What? The right.
0: Hayes, the Hayes Office. So, like, they would. Oh, you know, so they would. You know, censorship, like, censorship, and stuff. Like, you think that would yeah. kick in? But, like, this is a thing that you know. I like when I've been researching, I've been seeing with a lot of Disney films is like Walt can get away with a lot just because animation as a medium is perceived as something like very childish or even like you know it's like oh it's just animation it's just for kids like he doesn't mean anything by it you know and then we go into Mickey and the Beanstalk
1: which I know I noticed in the credits Um, Mickey, Donald and Goofy are all in here the credits do that thing where they credit uh, fictional characters yeah Which is always fun. Um, The only fictional characters credited are Mickey, Donald, and Jiminy. Goofy's appearance in Fun and Fancy Free is uncredited.
0: Poor Goofy. (laughs) Poor Goofy. And he was, like, the most sane out of all three of them. Yeah. Like, if anyone... I guess Donald (laughs) shouldn't have been credited. He tried to, like, eat a plate. (laughs) He
1: he did eat a plate. He ate two plates and a bunch of silverware.
0: Goofy deserves better.
1: Goofy... (laughs) Justice for Goofy, honestly.
0: The best dad out of everyone in the original cast. But that's for a later date.
1: That is for... God, no. No. So many spinoffs. So many spinoffs.
0: But anyways... I guess for me... I had two things that really stuck out to me about making the Beanstalk. Yeah. The first was the animation of the Beanstalk. Yeah. Specifically. Very well done. Freaked me the freak out. I just like, whenever, I don't know why, but I am, I have an irrational fear of plants growing quickly.
1: <laughs> I kid you not. No, I'm like. Is that why you kill all your plants? I
0: guess so. Because like, I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I think it's because it shows that it's alive, but I have like, it it doesn't like, like it's alive, but it doesn't like, it doesn't speak. It doesn't have like a mind, like, but it's alive. <laughs> So I guess it's like, it's this idea that like at any moment it could possibly kill me, right? Like it could just one day I could wake up and I could be wrapped in leaves and it's, it's fine. But um so I felt viscerally uncomfortable watching that scene, but I was also very intrigued because of how cleverly the house was destroyed and the sleeping characters would fall, but then like would be caught and then, you know, just like the whole yeah. bit of that.
1: No, that whole that whole sequence is great. I love I love stuff where they're like, let's play around with like barely catching our characters before they fall right off a cliff. It's very Chaplin esque
4: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and very Buster Keaton, like very very silent era slapstick comedy. And I, like that's the kind of stuff I'm here for. Yeah, just give me give me a nice downtime sequence where people are just like fallen but not quite. Love it, <laughs> love it. That doesn't undercut any tone. It's great. I love it.
0: S.C. King was another guest who remembered fun and fancy free, but he specifically liked the storytelling style of Mickey and the Beanstalk.
1: Oh, I used to watch specifically the Jack and the Beanstalk portion of that as a kid all the time. In fact, <laughs> me and my brothers to this day, like, well, <laughs> there's a sequence where I swear that duck that I was talking about, I think narrates this, <laughs> this movie, but he was like, and the corn turned to dust and then the dust like, was like, like poofs. Um, somebody even tried to recreate the sequence where they're cutting the bread into like see-through slices. No, like I used to love watching those Donald, Mickey, and Goofy um, like mini adventures where they would go, they would be part of some story. Like we used to watch The Prince and the Pauper all, uh, all the time. And It was fun seeing these stories told through like the lens of all your favorite Disney characters are now sprinkled in this sandbox, and they're gonna play some of the characters. But yeah, that stuff, this up song will
0: be fun. But you know what does undercut the tone? What? Okay, I just have mixed feelings about Willie the Giant's character. Yeah? Like, what are they going for here? Are they going for terrifying and, like, what could eat me at any moment? Are they going for, like, playful, doofy, and really not a threat? Because they toggle between both, right? Because he's not smart, obviously. And so, like, even the opening when they introduce him, right? He comes in. We see his shadow. It's this big, looming character. He's like, fee five fo 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 And then, like, he comes out skipping and dribbling a ball. And Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, so he's not someone that I should be scared of. And then you just see him act... And even in the scenes, he'll go from being, like, goofy and silly and, like, the comic relief, but then he gets, like, a crazed look in his eye. And then I'm like, oh, I feel like I should be really scared of him, but I don't know if I should. Like, I I, I didn't know what they were going for with him.
1: They, it, it, it feels like they're dancing around intellectual disability again. Mm-hmm. Like with uh, Dopey, yeah. like there's a lot, of, there's a lot of connective tissue between uh, Willie and Dopey, and it's not great. Um, which would kind of explain why they're flicking back and through, back and forth between complete innocence and actually kind of, a, kind of a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's bad. It's not great. It's 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 it's, it's bad.
0: <laughs> it's well, and bad. I think like just in a, as a whole. Part of me wonders, like, okay, what if they were just going for, like, the really scary, but then, like, what's the theme of the, mu- the movie? Fun and fancy free, right? We can't have a whole short, especially after Bongo and Bergen with his ventriloquist that's completely serious, right? You need to have, like, it's a very, like, if you take out his, like, him wanting to be a pink bunny with big floppy ears and you have him just as strictly a menacing antagonist, mm-hmm. it's a really scary, it's, like, a pretty... I don't want to say scary, but it's a more serious, darker short, right? Right. So, in general, it just doesn't really fall under the fun and fancy free theme that we're going with right here, right? Because, like, even Bongo, like, yeah, he has to, like, fight the bear, the big bear, but it still has, like, I feel like the tone throughout it is more consistent. So, I almost wonder, like, okay, did they decide to have him, like, also be kind of like a silly antagonist just to bring some levity that they needed or like Hon- you know
1: yeah honestly probably like it's the only thing that really makes sense like it's it's exhausting this this short is fine it's so it's so much of like it really has that feel of like this is going to this is going to sound backhanded because it is um it it, and just like a bat an insult this feels like high school theater production levels like just some of the decisions they made didn't feel entirely thought through like the willy stuff was weird Mm -hmm. um I also just (laughs) fundamentally have a problem with improperly scaled food Mm. um like, I, I got yelled at because I was like, peas aren't that big. Why is the why are the peas on his table that big? And, ma- and my girlfriend turns to me and goes, where do peas come from? I'm like, I don't know. Where do peas come from? She goes, they come from beanstalks. Harrison, they come from beanstalks. I'm like, oh. She's like, how did they get up there? I'm like, a beanstalk. Like, a beanstalk.
0: <laughs> Mallory with her, like, rationale. Oh, my goodness.
1: It's just like, okay, you know what? I don't need this right now. No. But, but no, then like, yeah, yeah, yeah. she was like, that's your problem with this. That's your problem. The peas are too big. <laughs> but like all the food is too big. Yeah. It makes me uncomfortable. Those walnuts are <laughs> gigantic. Those, Walmart, those walnuts are the size of bowling balls.
0: <laughs> so I love you how think- the food makes you uncomfortable and the growing beanstalk makes me uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> That jello is so big. Yeah. That turkey has no business being as big as it is. <laughs> it's also it's also very funny that he gets very excited about his chocolate pot roast and proceeds to make a leftover sandwich.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did think that was really random. It made no yeah, sense. No. And also it just kinda ends. Like think about yeah. like really like the ending is when Willie I guess the ending in the film I guess is when Willie comes into the house. Because it kind of shows like, oh, he never really died, but
1: nor that he was it, nor was he a figmentation of his imagination
0: <laughs> or whatever that he was trying to say. But like, if you but like, remember what I mentioned before, like they repurposed this short and had different people narrate it, right? Yeah, so if we yeah. just look at the animation as is, it ends with Willie falling. Like he lands. It cuts to black. That's the end. Which, like, again, makes it a pretty dark short as it is. But, like, that's it? Like, you don't see, like, did the harp help? Like, did they, I know Mickey, Donald, and Goofy still exist, but did they live? Like, did their characters, like, were they able to, like, you know, it's just, like, he dies, that's it.
1: Edgar Bergen did say... They live happily ever after because they got their money. They got the wealth back. The mm-hmm. harp represents the wealth of the entire Happy Valley. Right. Oh, shit, Mickey Don Donald- Mickey Donald and Goofy said, "Eat the rich." <laughs> Mickey Donald and Goofy say, "Fuck the rich, take their money."
0: Uh man!
1: Amazing, amazing. You know what? Never mind. This short's good. <laughs> this short's good. There Never mind.
0: Changes his mind. Yep. Uh. All right. Anything else about the beanstalk? I don't have um, anything else. I was just kind of like, eh,
1: I as a whole. Up, I accidentally turned off my sound for a second there. Yeah. Um, no, nothing more on the beanstalk. Honestly, uh, just I did. I just remembered something else at the very, very start of Fun and Fancy Free when, uh, when, mm, uh. Cricket man Jimmy mm. is doing his little song dance routine and he's like some people like books with titles 5 miles wide and I'm just sitting here like excuse you how dare you attack me in this manner
0: <laughs> I did think that was kind of elitist like or not elitist like anti intellectual yeah anti intellectual which I was like excuse me like you guys did fantasia <laughs>
1: like <laughs> y'all did fantasia and also we are out here doing all this work <laughs> Which I find very. You're the one reading the five mile long books oh, right now.
0: Me, I literally a pile right next to my desk, just growing. What?
1: But then also they hit that button again when Edgar Bergen is explaining like, "Oh, the giant didn't exist. He was a phantasmagoria of your subconscious mind." Like, get out of here with your like one. The anti-intellectualism is bad, but two, like no one uses, no one talks like that mm-hmm. to be like he wasn't really. he Was just part of a story. Boom, done. Same thing. Problem solved. Right. No issues here. Right.
0: Well, that's all from us this week. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And hey, if you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a review. Uh, Five stars only, of course. You can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Isaac.
1: And you can find me at Play underscore Champion.
0: You can also follow the show at Dream Deeper Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can write to us at dreamalittledeeperpod at gmail.com. Special thanks to all of our guests for taking the time to talk to us for this episode. You can follow Tasman's book blog at T Books and Tasman on YouTube and Instagram, and you can follow her poetry page at Tasman May Poetry on Instagram. You can follow Morgan at Modane on Instagram. You can find SC King at SC King Official on Facebook, and you can watch his film 300 Days to Mars on YouTube.
1: Join us next week as we continue our discussion of the package films with Melody Time and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Until then, dream on, silly dreamers.